Welcome to Bad Axe Podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Blinka. And I'm your co-host, Aaron. Bad Axe is brought to you by the Podmoth Media Network. Check out Podmoth for other exciting podcasts. I know I am constantly listening to our sibling podcast myself, so I'm sure you'll enjoy them too. Just a quick note, you can support Bad Axe by joining our Patreon at patreon.com backslash Pod. There is a link in our show notes. Memberships start at just $1, and you'll find several bonus episodes there already. We've covered a serial killer and several dramatic cases with twists and turns. I try to make sure every case we do for Patreon is extra exciting, so definitely check that out. You can also support the show by telling a friend about us, leaving a review, and following us wherever you listen. We would greatly appreciate that. Now, today is a very special day here at Bad Axe because it's our official 50th episode. Yay! Yay! I'm so excited. We are very, very, very excited to reach this very special milestone, and I wanted to do something special for us today. Absolutely. So, I have found us a serial killer case that I have not really heard much about. Nice. And I'm pretty plugged into true crime, so I'm thinking... That it might feel very new or maybe the first time that a lot of our listeners have heard of this case. Also, it has some tropes that I feel like we've covered in some other cases. So I thought it would be a great way to kind of cap off our 50th episode. Nice. I am so excited. Definitely. Now on to our case for today. We are going to Charleston, West Virginia in July 2015. Charleston, for those of you who do not know, is the capital city of West Virginia, and it also has the highest population of any city in the state, with just over 45,000 people. I was surprised that this town was so small, being the largest city in the state. I'm assuming West Virginia just has a lot of smaller cities and towns. That would make sense, yeah. Definitely. Uh, Charleston has a really cute downtown area. It looks like the streets look like your classic downtown uh, that we see here. And also they have a classic city skyline. They have a public art scene going on, which is also cool. It, it seems a little small, but I think that's just because we're used to living in a really big city. I think so, yeah. Back in 2015, Heather Saul lived in a small home in Charleston where she was building a life for herself. She shared the home with an adopted dog named Fancy. Very nice. Fancy the dog. Fancy the dog. Her home was decorated with a lot of vintage items, or at least items that I would call vintage. Not like your I'm at the vintage store kind of vintage, but more like 90s vibe vintage. Throwback. Yeah, throwback items. That is such a great way to say it. Like furniture that's just a little bit older and kind of has a quirk to it. CDs, DVDs, things that, like, aren't as common as much sitting out in someone's house in 2021, or in this case, 2015, but they are very common in this particular house. 
She also had signs of a very busy life spread around her rooms. Inside her home, she even had a small gardening project going, complete with plants and dirt. And by that same table where she had her plants, she kept a rake that she used to clean up after her dog, Fancy, when Fancy went out to the bathroom. Heather had dyed red hair and a quirky sense of style. In interviews, she wore bright colors and large, colorful earrings. But life hadn't been easy for Heather. She'd done a great job supporting herself, but things didn't always go as she planned. After leaving her parents' home at the young age of 14, she managed to finish high school while working and even started community college. However, she struggled to find her way in college, so she ended up dropping out that first year. She worked as a waitress and at one point as a head cook. Affording her own place was hard, though, and she sometimes used her construction skills that she learned from her father to earn rent forgiveness when she fell behind. Which is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Yes, so she could do a lot of different construction type projects. No matter how hard she worked, though, she still fell behind at times. Eventually, she needed a new way to make extra money to pay those bills. At that point, she started earning money as an escort. Like many sex workers, she used the website Backpage to find and vet potential clients. It seemed like a much safer way to work than other ways of finding clients. Which makes sense, because if your choices are either A, you know, going out on the street and trying to just meet Johns, or having a nice page set up where you can put your number out there, maybe some pictures, interact with the guys, try to get to know them ahead of time, feel them out, you can probably attract a way better quality of clientele and also not just have to deal with the dangers of being out on the street. Yeah, for real. It makes total sense. It does. So this is what she's doing to find these clients. However, she also wasn't that big on being a sex worker. Obviously, sex work is real work, and it's a great way for some people to make money, but it's not for everyone. And in her case, it really wasn't her favorite thing to do. So sometimes she would ignore clients when they messaged her or when they called her. Other times, she would pick up the phone. On July 18th, she received one of these calls from a potential client. She told reporter Melissa Guerra-Grant that she almost didn't answer this particular call, but she decided to pick up that day. The man was 45-year-old Neil Falls. Falls worked as a security guard in Oregon, so he probably seemed like a safe guy. He'd actually worked as a security guard in several different places, so he had like a record of being a security guard. Yeah, it makes sense. Now, when most people hear that someone is a security guard, it's kind of like being a cop. You're taught to think that it's safe, But just like we know that some cops are definitely not safe, neither are security guards. In fact, we just learned from the Carla Stefaniak case that security guards can actually be predatory garbage. That's right. Falls also literally worked security at a Hilton hotel, just mind you, around the time that all this happened. Man. Well, right before he'd actually been fired. And I just thought that was a weird overlap. Yeah, the hotel security guard... Yes, this is one of the callbacks I was specifically talking about to our prior episodes. We have another hotel security guard who seems very sketch. Very suspicious. Yes. Despite being from Oregon, Falls had reportedly decided to make a big cross-country move. Or at least that's what he had told a police officer not long before he met up with Heather. A reporter for KOIN News found a police body cam recording of Falls 11 days before he met Heather Saul... And in that traffic stop, 
Falls tells the officer that he's living out of his car as he makes the cross-country trip from Oregon to West Virginia. He says he's planning to find a new place to live once he arrives, but it's unclear if those plans were legitimate. Now, I think he was telling the truth because, as we will see, Falls moved to a lot of different states during his lifetime. He seemed to have some sort of thing where he just needed to move on and, like, go to different places. In fact, this traffic stop, I believe, took place in Texas. So, you can kind of see how, you know, he's driving all the way. Yeah. Kind of a, a big V across the country, like, down and back up. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. Yeah, for real. Although it's kind of out of the way if your destination is West Virginia, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think that this guy is just a little bit sketchy, though. He he likes to go to different places because he's kind of a little predatory. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but he's kind of a hunter type of dude, uh, but for ladies. So I think that might have fed into his choice. And he had at one point been in Texas before, so it may have also just been him retracing that footstep. Like, he'd lived in, like, Nevada, and I'm pretty sure he either been to Texas or lived in Texas before. Makes sense, yeah. Yeah, and you'll see later, it's a little hard to track his movements, so just be prepared for that. Now, when he called Heather, Falls asked her a few questions about where they'd meet up. He asked if the home was hers and if she'd be there alone. Now, for me, when I hear these questions, I thought, red flag, red flag, but... I'm pretty sure these would be normal questions if you're hiring an escort. You know, if you're going to the escort's home, obviously you want to know, are other people going to be harassing us? Are they going to be watching what's happening? Or maybe there's kids there. Like, I wouldn't want to go to someone's house if they had kids there to hire them as an escort because that would be kind of weird. So I can see asking these questions in this context and it not necessarily being creepy. It's clear that Heather felt safe initially because she told him, yes, that's my apartment. Yes, we'll be alone. But that's probably because she actually had some friends with her there at the time. She had her friends Lisa and Harley over. I believe that Harley is a guy because there are male pronouns assigned to Harley at various points in different articles. So these two are at her home at this time. Now, she told that one reporter that I was mentioning earlier, Melissa Gira Grant, that she often had Harvey at her house when she saw clients. So she would have Harley sit outside the house, and that way if anything went wrong or she needed help, she could call for Harley, and he could come in and make sure that things were going down safely. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a good protection, right? Yes, which makes total sense. I think a lot of people have this when they work as escorts. It's like having a driver... If you're going to someone's house, you have your driver wait, and then if something goes wrong, theoretically, the driver could step in and make sure you're okay. Or, if you never came back, they would obviously know there's a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's kind of a fail-safe. Yeah. So, because of this, Heather went ahead and invited Falls over for the afternoon for a visit, because that's how she ran her business. She would invite clients that she thought were safe 
over to her house and then they would have their moments and then the client would leave. Unfortunately though, the unexpected happened in the meantime because the friend Lisa went down to a store to buy a soda right after this call was made and then Fancy, the dog, just so happened to escape. Oh no. Yeah, so at this point, it's only Harley and Heather at the house and the dog has gone. So Harley had to go look for Fancy. Oh no, and so so she's all alone. Yeah, so she's all alone just as Falls is arriving to the home. Now, Falls pulls up at 3 o'clock p.m. Heather's by herself. Keep in mind that when Fancy ran off, initially, I imagine the dog kind of running out the door and they immediately chased it. Because to me, that would be a really short chase. And I was thinking maybe she was just really unlucky that he came in really fast and threatened her. But the dog literally was gone overnight Oh, so, wow. yeah, so it was gone, gone. So Harley was like really having to do a hunt trying to find this puppy dog. So Falls parks the house at 3 p.m. And when Heather Saul opened her front door, she immediately regretted this decision. As soon as Falls walked in, he pressed a gun into her chest and told her, quote, live or die, unquote. Shit. Yeah, total, totally crazy. Just insane. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, just right away. Yeah. She sort of described him as, like, doing a glance around the house to see if anyone appeared to be there, and then he pulled the gun on her, like, immediately. Damn. Then, after pulling the gun on her, Falls grasped Heather's neck, trying to choke her. The attack later would leave big red welts and bruising around her neck, so he's really, really going after it. She said that in her past, she's experienced violence from partners before, and I also think from clients based on her descriptions. And she said that she'd never experienced anything like this before. She felt like he had some sort of practice in his past that enabled him to to maintain the hands around her neck because it was so hard for her to get any kind of error, to get any kind of like leeway from him. Man, I bet. That's got to be scary as hell. Yeah. So as he's strangling her, he's also trying to beat on her and hit her and strike her as he's doing this. Heather, for her part, fought back and she fought back very hard. And despite all of her fighting, he managed to keep hold of her and was assaulting her, beating her, and strangling her. She, meanwhile, starts trying to claw at him, and she's, like, trying to hit at him. In total, it's said that this attack actually went on for 10 whole minutes with the two of them fighting back and forth. And she would have moments where she almost kind of thought like she was breaking away a little bit, enough for her to ask for more air, but he would not let up. Like, he was just, like, tossing her around like a rag doll. Man. During the attack, Falls told Heather, quote, I'm going to prison for a long time. It's your choice if it's for rape or murder, unquote. Fuck, that is sadistic. Yes, and I don't actually think this was really a choice, and we'll see why in a minute. He says that to her, and I think he was trying to get her to comply with with him raping her so that he could get more control over her. But I don't think he ever had any intention of letting her go, just FYI. And yeah. we'll see why in a minute. Sure. And just based on what we've already seen, it seems pretty unlikely he was going to let yes, her go. Yes, exactly. Because he escalated the violence so far. Yeah. As she fought for her life, Heather grabbed that rake that she used to clean up after Fancy. And since it was in her house, she was able to just grab it in her hand. Now, at this point, for some reason, Falls registered the rake as a potentially good weapon. Now, he has a gun. She has a rake. And he's thinking in his mind, oh, she's going to be able to hit me with that rake, which obviously she was going to do. As it turns out, though, 
Grabbing the rake to fight off the gun would be the best decision she could have made in that scenario because when Falls saw that she had the rake, he went for it. But obviously he couldn't fight for the rake with the gun. So he set the gun down and then grabbed the rake and managed to wrestle it away from her. But that didn't matter at that point because Heather saw the gun there. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's let go of the gun. And she sees the opportunity. She grabbed the gun, pointed over her shoulder, and fired. Oh, shit. And that over-the-shoulder shot hit Falls in the head. Damn, that's some baller shit. I know. So he fell down dead, slumped against the countertop, with one arm sort of hanging over the side of the counter. And I accidentally saw a photo of this scene while I was doing research, just FYI. And I'm not into crime scene photos, so I do not look at that. Ever since we went to the Museum of Death and we saw... (laughs) Oh my god. I just... It's not for me. It's disgusting. I cannot look at those photos. And I accidentally saw this one. It is really crazy how he's kind of hanging there. It defies the laws of physics because his arm is sort of over the corner of the countertop. And he's sort of like propped up against the counter. So it's kind of like he's sitting up. But he's not. Like he's dead. Yeah, that's crazy. Just totally crazy. After he fell, Heather ran from her home and found a neighbor who could help her. She says initially she saw her friend Lisa coming back from the store, but Lisa didn't want to help and just ran off. I don't know why. I'm assuming she had her reasons of not wanting to interact with the police, but she was able to find a neighbor that could help her. I don't know if she realized at this point that he was actually dead. She knew that she shot him because she could see it because it was yucky. She described that he, she could like hear the blood and whatnot, like coming out and like, pouring down that's gotta be that's gotta be scary yeah we're gonna get to some it's like extremely scary and so she i but i don't know if she knew that he was dead because i feel like if i were her i would definitely think that he was gonna come back after me i would definitely be afraid of that yeah so she goes to this neighbor and the neighbor called 911 for help and i have also heard part of this call as well during my research and you can hear that the neighbor is informing the dispatcher that a man had attacked heather and she had defended herself and that she had shot the attacker In the background, you can hear Heather crying and telling the neighbor what happened about him pulling the gun and him threatening her and her being afraid. And she's just like full on sobbing. 28 police officers and firefighters responded to that call for help, which is kind of nice, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's good that people responded, right? Definitely. When police arrived at the home after the shooting, they didn't really know what to make of it at first. They had a woman who was obviously claiming self-defense and she had visible injuries. They weren't, it wasn't clear how bad they were until later, but she did have visible injuries that they could tell she had been attacked. But the man they had at the scene had no criminal record. So they're thinking, what happened here? Yeah. Officers took Heather to the police station for an interview. Now I will say, I think it's unfair that they didn't take her to the hospital first Because they did not take her to the hospital first. Yeah, that's pretty fucked up. And I know that she shot him in this scenario, but we've literally done other cases where someone shot someone on purpose as part of a a murder or an attempted murder and still got to go to the hospital before they got questioned. Indeed. And we'll see later she had some pretty bad injuries, but you could tell like immediately after the attack that she had really bad damage to her throat from him trying to choke her. So she really, in my opinion, should have been offered medical help. Maybe she said no to it. I don't know. But I think in this case, shouldn't you make them go to the hospital? You would think so. Yeah. If if they have that much damage, you know? Yeah. And as we will see later, she actually had some really significant injuries. 
Instead, they did take her to the police station for an interview. And in her police interview, Heather cries as she says, quote, I'm so sorry that I killed him. I didn't mean to kill no one. And as you watch her, you can really see her despair. I think we don't think about how traumatic it would be to actually fight off an attacker because obviously being attacked is a PTSD situation. It's incredibly traumatic. It's weird because I think we treat people who fight off someone like this as a hero because I consider her to be a hero. This is amazing that she was able to save herself. It's a miracle. And I'm just like, oh my God, Heather, you are an inspiration. Yeah. But for her, this doesn't feel like an inspirational moment because it's incredibly traumatic to have to kill someone. I mean, even though this person was vile and was trying to murder you and it was literally going to be one or the two of them was going to die in that situation. And it's lucky that it was him who died. To be a normal person who isn't like a sociopath or broken inside or whatever, to have killed someone, even though you have to, it's it's a traumatic incident. And you can definitely feel that when you watch her do that interview, that she is really traumatized by all this. And that she's just like seeing that specter of having to fire the gun and see him fall and see you know, him bleeding out. It's horrific. Yeah, definitely. That, that has to be traumatizing. Yes. Now, in addition to these emotional wounds, she did have physical wounds as well. So after the police interview, Falls did agree to go to the hospital to get examined. And that's how she found out how bad her her injuries were. In addition to having those visible marks and bruises around her neck, she also had a separated shoulder, a broken vertebrae, which means a broken back. And also other injuries as well, like scrapes and bruises and whatnot. Wow, that is severe. Yeah, so she literally had a broken back this entire time. And it was bad enough of an injury that it's limited her as she's gone into the future with, like, what she can do in terms of, like, lifting and twisting and, like, doing things. Yeah, of course. I mean, a broken back will stay with you forever. Yeah, and so that's what I meant when I said that I genuinely think that she should have been offered to go to the hospital right away because she clearly had some bad injuries. I'm kind of skipping ahead a little bit, but I will tell you... After she went home after all this, in addition to having all these terrible injuries, including the the broken back, when she got home, the blood was literally still in her her kitchen because nobody cleans that up. Wow. And she couldn't afford, like, a crime scene tech. So she literally had to clean this man's blood up herself. That is sucks. It really does. And honestly, I kind of felt like it was a dick move for whoever had been there investigating because I get it that it might not be your job, but y'all really should have cleaned that up. Yeah, for real. Like, that's like, messed up. Yeah, but if you've been the victim of a violent assault like this, yes. and then you have to go home and clean up exactly. a crime Exactly. You already have to <laughs> deal with all the trauma of being a victim and having to shoot somebody to save yourself. And now you have to clean up blood, too. That's such, that's so messed up. Yeah, that really Such a is. messed up thing. That's just insult to injury. Yeah, and it might not have even been just blood. Cause she referred to it as, like, fluids at one point. And remember, it's a headshot. So we don't know where the shot went in, but it killed him. So that could involve some other things yeah. that we won't talk about. Yeah, for Which real. is just wrong for that, that she had to clean that up. Yep. Meanwhile, though, while she was getting questioned and she was at the hospital, I'm rewinding slightly, police started investigating the scene to try to figure out what happened. Since Falls' car was parked outside, officers decided to search it. Inside, they found something curious. Something curious that was also horrifying. Falls brought much more than his gun to Heather's apartment. In addition to having four pairs of handcuffs on him, his car was full of suspicious gear. In the hatchback of his vehicle, Falls had more handcuffs, 
axes, a machete, knives, a sledgehammer, shovels, a bulletproof vest, trash bags, copious amounts of bleach, and another gun. Yikes, that's a murder kit if I ever saw one. Yeah, so police immediately are like, oh no, like this is an actual murder kit. Oh yeah. This is alarming, what the hell, what is happening here? Mm-hmm. In fact, one of the officers who was interviewed about this case said that this kill kit that was inside Falls' car would be perfect for maiming, imprisoning, torturing, killing, and disposing of victims. Shit, that is not cool. Yeah, so it's not just like a regular-ass murder kit. Not that that's okay. We're not pro-murder kit or anything. But they're literally looking at the most severe type of murder that you can commit. Yeah. is something that makes sense that goes with these different tools. Right, yeah. Because of this sophisticated kit and the well-thought-out plan of how to, to seduce his way into the house and what he brought with him and things like that, they decided that they did not believe that this was his first time attempting a murder. It doesn't sound like it's yeah. his first time. So they started suspecting that he might be a serial killer who had just not gotten caught yet. We know that these exist and... They're thinking, oh my God, Neil Falls, he's one of these serial killers that we don't know about. And they start trying to look into like his past. I also, I did not tell you this, but because I wasn't sure if I was going to include it. But one of the things in his kill kit was a duffel bag full of other clothes that were the same that he was wearing. It was all like black shirts and like dark pants. So essentially like murder clothes. Yeah, he's got a change of murder clothes. Yeah, that also seems like a thing that you learn from your other kills. Like nobody starts out on day number one with like, okay, let me get some backup murder clothes. Yeah. Like that's not something that I would think of. And it makes sense that it would be like a lesson learned from like, I've killed a few times and I've learned that I need a backup set mm-hmm, to change out mm-hmm, of. Like, mm-hmm. which is freaking crazy yes. to think about. But I mean, I guess it makes sense if you're a serial killer that you would evolve over time, I guess. Right. A hundred percent. Additionally, police found a large plastic tub in his vehicle that they suspect he may have used to imprison victims because it was empty, but it had, like, tape on it. Oh, no. And he also had more tape in his car. According to a police officer who spoke with KOIN News, the tub was large enough to hold a woman inside. And based on the MO that they saw with this crime and with some prior crimes that they started connecting him to, he appears to abduct the women... And then keep them at some point. And then after he murders him, he chops them up and disposes of their body in different places. Jesus, that is gruesome. Yeah, so that murder bin was also a crossover that I saw from some prior cases. Yeah. Because I am starting to be afraid of large plastic containers having <laughs> doing this podcast. Because so many people, why are people putting bodies in these tubs? I know. You need to stop putting tubs... I know those things are for storage. Those are or for, for storage. Or for moving, maybe. They're not for murder. They're not for murder. And <laughs> I really, like, really am messed over when I see those really big ones because I start to be like, what are you putting in that? You don't need that big of a tub. Nobody has that much stuff. I mean, I get it. People want to store stuff. But yeah. you can put it in more than one tub. Yeah. Yeah. It's... It's disturbing. It is disturbing. It's a red flag. Yeah, like you were going to start calling the cops every time you see somebody like mm-hmm. driving down the street and one, you'd be like, hello, I saw someone with a murder tub. You need to go investigate. It's like the trash bags on the side of the road. Right. Just so scared. <laughs> just like side-eyeing people in the, in the store when they're buying big tubs. Like, yeah. like, is this for a Christmas tree or for murder? Yeah. Like, this guy bought like two things of bleach at the same time. He's a murderer. Yeah. You gotta what are go, you gotta trying go to clean him. up, sir? I have suspicions. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, I would also like to point out that if you recall, he was driving cross country and going on a road trip for murder. So that was also like the case we just did. Yeah, for <laughs> so real. So many crossovers. This is what I'm talking about. All right. In addition to all of his various murder gear, Falls also had a pillow and a sleeping bag in his car. So police started to think that might be where he was living at the moment. Weirdly, though, Falls did not have any cash or credit cards on him. So here's the deal. If you're living in your car, which they're not 100% sure about, and we'll see why in a minute. If you're living in your car, how do you have zero cash or cards? Like nothing. Yeah, you'd have to have some kind of money, right? Exactly. So how would he be paying for this trip? Also, it's obvious that he was planning something dark if he shows up to an escort with nothing to pay her with. Absolutely. Also a red flag. Yep. So they were unable to determine where any of these materials were. After Falls' death, police also found what looked like a post-it note in his pocket. And on the little paper, they found another alarming clue. Because he had actually written down six more women's names on the list. And alongside each name, he had written their phone number to the left of it and then their age to the right. After doing some investigating, police confirmed that he had also found these six women on Backpage, just like he had with Heather. And it looks like they were potential victims that he was calling to see which one of them he could, you know... Murder. Murder. Wow. I believe five of the six were not in Charleston and one was. But it, it's not, I don't completely remember because it was reported differently in different places. Damn. Yeah, so very suspicious. Now, at this point, police are obviously suspecting something sinister. And they start asking themselves, could Neil Falls be a serial killer? Well, it dun, sounds dun, that dun. way. It sounds that way, yes. Let's start by looking briefly into Neil Falls' background. He's one of nine kids, and he grew up with an overbearing father who struggled to support the family. Allegedly, this overbearing father may have been somewhat abusive, but it's unclear how abusive that was, if he was just kind of cantankerous or if he actually actively abused them. It's unclear which of those two things was happening, but it wasn't a happy family setting. At a young age, Falls became obsessed with weapons and he started collecting them as well as military paraphernalia, like all well-adjusted happy people do with just compiling guns in their house (laughs) when they're like 14 years old. Right. He spent time living in several different states and often took work as a security guard. Dun, dun, dun. I no longer trust security guards. For real. I used to feel safe and now I do not. Indeed. At one point, he even worked as a security guard at the Hoover Dam. Wow. Yeah, there was some shitty stuff that went down there. I'm not including that information. If you read all about certain things I've been put on the internet about Neil Falls, there are some allegations that he may have, like, harmed animals and been harassing people at Hoover Dam. But there's nothing to confirm that. And none of that information is presented in, like, credible news stories that are the kind of news stories that I would use. So, I guess take that with a grain of salt. I don't know if they're true or not. Right. As an adult, he lived in multiple states throughout the years. And in fact, though he didn't have a criminal record, police found that he'd been stopped, interviewed, or investigated by police in at least 20 different states. Wow. Now, you're probably thinking, Danielle, how did he not have a criminal background if he has been stopped this many times? Yeah. You may have figured out that Neil Falls is a white dude. And I feel like that is why, (laughs) I mean, he has all these guns and he has all these suspicious things going on. For him to not get any charges at all 
Yeah, he's got to be a white dude. That's the only way. Be serious. Like, yeah. not trying to start shit, but that's why. No, it makes sense. Now, these states included, but are not limited to, Oregon, where he's originally from, as well as West Virginia, Nevada, Texas, Arizona, Iowa, Georgia, California, Colorado, Missouri, Kansas, Montana, Kentucky, New Mexico, and Virginia, as well as other states that are unnamed. That's what I was saying earlier when I said that he'd been to all these different places. It's completely logical that he would move that far, considering how much he's been moving across country. Yeah. Also, this is partly where the police start to get all kinds of red flag buzzers going on. Because nothing says, I'm a serial killer, like driving across the country and then trying to murder people. Yes, that is exactly what a serial killer would do. And also, a serial killer who has not gotten caught. That too. Right? Yeah, he keeps moving on before uh they know what's going on. And we're going to see some more behaviors too that might be helping him get away with this. Now, although police believe that he may have been sleeping in his car initially, later they started to suspect that he had some sort of hideout or home base. Now, you're probably thinking, why would they suspect that? Well, they know from witnesses who knew him that he had a large collection of weapons, including a lot of firearms. He'd been collecting these for a while. And this collection even included an AR-15 rifle that they did not find in his car. Police only recovered like a small handgun, possibly two small handguns, depending on how reports state, because it sounds like he had two guns. Whereas they're expecting this like large cache of guns. Yeah. Authorities speculate that he might have a base where he keeps his weapon, as well as trophies from his victims. Because they could not find any obvious trophies with him in the car, but... If he's really a serial killer, there's a very strong likelihood that he would take some per police. Right. Now, another sign that he might have a home base somewhere is that they found dog fur in his car. And so at one point, police speculated that he may actually have a dog waiting at his home base wherever it was. But there's no follow-up in the media over what happened to this dog. I found, like, one article on, I think, HuffPost, which I don't normally quote HuffPost in this, but I used them this time. That talked about this possibility of the dog and had some police stuff in it. So maybe there's a dog, maybe not. We're not sure. Now, since Falls didn't use a smartphone or any modern technology, tracking where he'd been proved more difficult than usual in an investigation taking place in 2015. So really let that sink in. This man does not have a smartphone with him. He had, like, I think a track phone, but not a smartphone. He also does not have a computer in 2015. Yeah. Which also suggests that either A, he was super old school, or B, maybe he really did have a home base somewhere with this stuff in it. And that could be where his money and credit cards are. That could make sense. At this point, there's no evidence that police have found the home base. They have not released anything about that. So it, it could be non-existent. We don't know. Now, you're probably wondering, if he doesn't have a smartphone, he doesn't have a computer, how did he find Backpage and find his victim, right? Good question. Okay, well, apparently he was going to libraries and using the computer to go on Backpage, and then that's partially why he would make a list of these women, is so that he could call them and just kind of mark them off. Right. Which is pretty jacked up. Oh, yeah. If I were going to hire an escort, I would want to pick someone out that I thought I had some you know kind of camaraderie with, and then call that one person and be like, hi, like, we seem like this might go together. I could see you look going and looking for another one if that one didn't work out. It just was like kind of seemed sketch to me that he just had this list. I don't know if maybe that's just me because I've never actually hired an escort. Maybe this is how normal people do it. 
But for me, it seems like that was kind of a, I'm looking for a victim more so than a specific person. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you have a list like that. That's weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or it seems weird, yeah. Yes. Now, at this point, several police departments banded together to investigate his past because there are officers who are in places that they know he was based on his past addresses who are like, wait, we have these people missing and this, like, the kill kit and what he did with Heather all matches what we have going on in this murder case or in this missing persons case. So they start to come forward and work with the Charleston Police Department to start working these cases together to try to put together a disturbing pattern of what may have been going on. Authorities found three cases of dead sex workers and one case of a missing person in Las Vegas at the time Falls lived in nearby Henderson, Nevada from 2003 to 2006. Now, you might remember Henderson because this is also a callback to a prior case. We did a current events episode that that talked about a crime spree that happened in in the Henderson slash Las Vegas area. And literally, Henderson is right there by Las Vegas. So some of that crime that happened in Henderson was initially actually just reported as being in Las Vegas. That's how close they are. Essentially, it's like part of the metropolitan area. Right. So he lives there between 2003 and 2006. And the women that we are going to be talking about are Jody Marie Brewer, Misty Marie Sands, Lindsay Marie Harris, and Jessica Edith Foster. In the case of the three murders, the women disappeared while working as sex workers and later were found to be dismembered on the side of the road. So let's break this down a little bit. In the case of 25-year-old Misty Sands, she disappeared back in 2003 from the Las Vegas area. People, um, police do suspect that she was actively working as a sex worker probably on the street at the time. Authorities later recovered her partial remains off a road near Red Rock Canyon National Conservation Area, and she was wrapped in plastic and cloth. Now, note that I said partial remains. I think that it might have been a leg that they found. He chose to cut up his victims, and the pieces weren't always disposed of together based on what they found. Either that or just scavenging animals took parts of them. Jody Marie Brewer disappeared from Vegas in 2003, and her torso was later found at the California-Nevada border, and it was also wrapped in plastic. Now, in that case, they only found the torso, and again, it was kind of far away, so it was at the border, so he had traveled some distance to dump it, or whoever killed her, not necessarily false, because he was unable to go to trial because he was dead. The police believe that he did kill her. Like the others, 21-year-old Jessica Foster disappeared from a Vegas suburb, but her remains have never been recovered. And according to some reports, police may have ruled Falls out in her disappearance. Partially, that might also be because her mom says that she does not believe that Jessica was a victim, and she also says that Jessica was not a sex worker. If that's true, she might not fit his victim profile. And then in 2005, 21-year-old Lindsay Harris disappeared near the Vegas Strip. Her family traveled from New York to help search for her, and her case even appeared on an episode of America's Most Wanted. Later, her leg parts were eventually found off the road in Springfield, Illinois, which, keep in mind, is about 1,600 miles away from Las Vegas. Yeah, that's a long ways. Yeah, so this is what the police are looking at, is that not only do they have him having connections to some of these people, but we're talking a huge distance that he would have traveled. And they have evidence that he was also in Illinois. 
So it's not like that the leg appeared there and then there's no connection to him. He literally has a connection to have been in Illinois at some point. Yeah. Yeah. So they're looking like this pattern is circumstantial, but it makes sense. Additionally, police in Chillicothe, Ohio, found four cases of murdered women and two cases of missing women that they believe connected back to Falls. These incidences, these incidents occurred during 2014 and 2015. After his death, authorities entered Falls' DNA into police databases in the hopes of identifying other potential victims and possibly solving the cold cases. In total, police believe Falls is connected to murders in Nevada, Ohio, and Illinois, but it's possible he killed women in other states because he's been to so many. In total, they think he's killed as many as nine women, but they also say maybe more, so it's unclear how many victims that he could have at this time. Now, they are not finished investigating him, so it's likely that at some point there may be more information, especially as DNA is processed, because they do have his DNA. At one point, a lot of people suspected him of the I-70 murders, like a lot of internet sleuths connected him to that because he does kind of look like the sketches, but police say that they actually looked into him for those murders and have not been able to connect him to them, and that at this point, they're saying that there's no evidence that he's connected to those murders, and they don't really associate them with his name at this time. Based on their investigation, police believe Falls targeted women who were sex workers or who were going through financial difficulties, often because of drug dependency. And because of the kill kit, authorities believe that Heather is lucky to be alive and that if she had not fired that bullet, then she probably would not have survived that interaction with him. Oh, yeah. Now, because of all this, the shooting was obviously determined to be self-defense and she was not charged with any crimes. So, yay. Yay. It's not quite a happy ending, though, because she was left with those injuries and she also has a high public profile now that she didn't exactly ask for and that hasn't been totally comfortable for her. I bet. Obviously, here at Bad Axe, we're just happy she's alive. So, yay. Yes, very much. I also feel like I learned something from this case because initially, when I stumbled across it, I thought, wow, this lady is such an inspiration. What a hero. And then after reading her real-life experience of coming out of this crime and surviving, it made me feel really bad because I don't think that it's, like, helpful necessarily to focus on the heroic part because it's still a trauma. I think by stopping at the point of calling someone a badass or a hero or an inspiration doesn't help us help them heal, if that makes sense. Yeah, it takes away part of their story, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's something I learned from this, to not put that kind of label on someone because I think it makes to where we're implying that she should be, like, happy and feel good about herself and feel good about what happened when... Obviously, that's not what's going to happen. A normal person would feel really bad about this situation because it's very traumatic and it's hurtful. And, you know, you need support and not just necessarily us kind of only seeing it as a good thing, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, totally. Although I will also point out that people, part of the reason why people call her a hero is that the police believe that she saved a lot of other women's lives because she killed this predator who was otherwise not going to get caught. Yeah, for At least sure. for a while. Probably would have killed some other people. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and she did say that she felt like the past incidences she'd been in where people have been violent toward her and she'd had to kind of fight them off prepared her for this, which is also just a special kind of sad that this woman deserves better than this. She deserves better than having people try to brutalize her and being put into situations that she's not comfortable with. Yeah. It doesn't matter if what 
she's doing. It doesn't matter what job she's chosen or if she has had dependencies on things in the past. It doesn't really matter. Or in the present, she's a person that deserves to have a happy, you know, loving existence and not have to deal with this kind of stuff. And I think as a group, we should all do better about putting out good things into the world and helping each other. And then maybe we can try to prevent some of this stuff, ideally. Absolutely. All right. Well, this is our 50th episode, and we are so freaking happy to have brought you this case. And we would like to give a shout out right now. Obviously, we would like to give a shout out to our patrons. We have my Aunt Donna. We have Casey. We have Lane. We have Andrea. You're all awesome. But we would also like to give a shout out to someone special who is one of our OG listeners. Now, we had a couple of people who used to tune in at the very beginning. Like, I think from the early days, we started having like 10 or so regular listeners. But there's one person that I have seen, and they are from Washington, Virginia. I don't know who you are, Washington, Virginia person, but I have seen you since pretty much day one. You have been downloading the podcast every week. I can see based on location. And we love you, Washington, Virginia person. And if you want to identify yourself, that would be awesome. If not, just know that we really appreciate you. And we know that you have been in it with us since episode number one, pretty much. And we really appreciate you. Uh, you might theoretically be one of the, the patrons, for all we know. But we love you. And we think Washington, Virginia sounds like a cool place, probably. Absolutely. Seems like it has trees there. I'm just going to venture to guess. It does sound like that, yeah. Some trees are nice. Maybe we'll try to find a, a case from Washington, Virginia to do. We'll see. We will definitely see. Now, if you would like to also support Bad Axe, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or where you listen. Like and follow us also. That would be super great. We would appreciate it if you told a friend about us. That would be cool. You can connect with us on social media at Pod, and we are most active on Instagram, so that is a good place to find us. But I do post kind of regularly on the Facebook and the Twitter. If you have feedback, comments, or case suggestions, you can email us at badaxpod at gmail.com. Additionally, Aaron is going to tell you about our website. It's very cool. It's got a picture of a spooky tree. It's badaxpod.com. Go check it out. Thank you so much for listening. We love you and happy 50th episode. Yay. Yay. Bye-bye. Bye.